0: Thank you for downloading this podcast from Talk Radio 702 and 567 Cape Talk. For more podcasts and more information on your number one news and talk station, please visit 702.co.za or capetalk.co.za.
1: Your family, your community, your country, your responsibility. Be the best citizen you can be. Find the Bill of Rights on leadersay.co.z. The Naked Scientist on Talk Radio 702 and 567 Cape Talk with Reedy Clubby. Yes, 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 yes. Now is your opportunity. Whatever you want to ask him, he's always ready to help and assist us and give us a bit of clarity about the way the world functions. What I mean by that is that we are taking all your science-related questions. Uh, we're stripping science down to its bare essentials on 021. 44605670118830702 4 double double 0 0 you can also send your questions via sms 31702 and 31567 hello chris
0: good morning how are your exams uh, I've nearly finished my about 400 and something exam paper that I'm marking, thankfully not doing. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, nearly finished. I've got the last few just sitting here waiting to be having the marks written into the mark sheet. Would so you be a celebration before? day for me.
1: <laughs> Good luck to you. That's nice.
0: i tell you what, each mm-hmm. of these students is writing about 1500 words. So if you mark four hundred of those things, that's four hundred times fifteen hundred or a thousand words or so. You know that that's quite a few that's novels a lot, eh? uh, that you've had to read in a week, and all of them are the same. So it's like picking up a book and then reading it about a thousand times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's quite challenging, actually, to make sure that you stay fresh and impartial for each one. Um, but I learn a lot.
1: That's exactly what I wanted to ask <laughs> you. That, teach I mean, me a lot. The first 20, perhaps, that you read, and then the next one is the same, is the same. Does it affect the way you mark? I hope not.
0: <laughs> no. I mean, what we do is very fair, actually. I mean, the kind of thing we would do is we always take the first 10 off the pile and read them, just read them flat through, and that gives you an idea as to what the overall standard is, because they're all in random order, and they're, they're totally anonymous. So you don't know who's who and that gives you an idea as to what the sort of standard is and you can then see how people are are interacting with what you had in mind for the mark scheme and then as we go through we're literally ticking off they've got this point and this point this point and this point and that enables us to be very very fair and consistent all the way through
1: Mm. Mm. all right we're taking your calls we start with this sms that came in last week chris somebody wants to know how do we decide what to name our various phobias? The latest phobia this person heard <laughs> of was fear of not listening to a pastor in a church.
0: That is from Louis. <laughs> what, what was the name of the phobia for not listening no, listen to a pastor No, listen to this.
1: The, the SMS says, hear me something phobia.
0: <laughs> Gosh. Godophobia or something. Fear of Godophobia. Um. The answer is usually you use the technical terminology for the particular syndrome or the particular object of which people have a fear. So if you were talking about trees, then you might talk about dendrophobia, for example, um, because trees have dendrites, these sort of branching patterns, dendrophobia. And so it's usually... Um, informed by the latin word or some fancy term which no one's ever heard of and i think this is the mm. idea is just to confuse but obfuscate <laughs> the real meaning so that you can say well i've got bloody bloody blah phobia and it sounds really posh but in fact what it's saying is i'm actually scared of eating breakfast cereal <laughs> cereal phobia
1: it's like why didn't you say that in the first place you know <laughs> yeah there's I- a lot
0: of things in life to which that could be applied yeah
1: mm-hmm. an sms here it's a shame and i can hear the frustration here it says uh please can you it says naked scientist is there a way to balance hormones in menopausal years to alleviate all the health setbacks at the time a hysterectomy is not an option that is an sms
0: yeah well the reason that the menopause happens first and foremost when a, a baby is conceived and developing inside her mother so we're talking about a a female baby all of the eggs that that baby is going to produce in her lifetime are produced while that baby is developing inside her mother and so those eggs begin to dwindle from the minute the baby's born and by the time a baby reaches puberty and starts to ovulate they're down to only a few percent of the eggs they had when they were inside their mother And over the course of the fertile lifespan, more eggs are used every month in producing follicles, and some of them are ovulated, and some of them, if they're fertilised, turn into babies. But by the time the woman reaches 50-ish years of age, the ovaries run out of their supply of eggs, and the eggs produce, as they mature, a set of cells, granulosa cells, that produce oestrogen and so if you don't have those cells you can't make as much estrogen and this causes the levels of estrogen in the bloodstream to become much lower than they were and therefore you're in a relatively estrogen deficient state now the brain controls the ovary using the pituitary gland which is a tiny pea-sized gland that dangles down off the bottom of the brain and the brain and the pituitary gland are listening to the bloodstream and how much oestrogen and other hormones are there. And they produce signalling hormones, FSH and LH, which go down to the ovaries and other bits of the body and tell those tissues what to do and if the level of estrogen is high then you cut off the supply of fsh follicle stimulating hormone from the pituitary Mm -hmm. so when you run out of eggs you don't have enough estrogen so the pituitary doesn't see any estrogen in the blood so it thinks the ovary isn't working hard enough so it produces more of this fsh and some lh these go around the bloodstream of course the ovary can't respond and other tissues then respond to the presence of these signals and you get some of the side effects like the hot flushing and the sweating and not feeling very well so one option is to take hormone replacement therapy and this can be delivered by a transdermal across the skin patch and it oozes small amounts of estrogen and estrogen-like chemicals through the skin and into the bloodstream and this can help to mitigate some of the symptoms that come from the fact that the, the body is previously deficient in estrogen and has high levels of these pituitary hormones. There are some risks associated with using HRT, hormone replacement therapy. One of them is that it carries a, a small elevation in the risk of breast cancer there may be others um we don't know there are also some benefits it, it it makes people feel a lot better and psychological well-being is important too
1: okay and let's go straight to the lines mike you're calling us from gordon's bay good morning
0: morning really i want to know is it unhealthy or unsafe to eat the, the the ice that's on the inside of a freezer you know on the sides of the freezer
1: okay the frost because I, got,
0: I i got I got my kids that use a little plastic up, and
1: they scrape that off and they enjoy eating that. I just want to know if it's unhealthy or I, not. You, I used to do that. It was divine. <laughs> I listen on the radio. Like, okay. Uh,
0: you should try feeding them food once in a while. <laughs> uh, while. They not so hungry. No, I, th- I think, Mike, um, the answer is this. Um... That water has formed because the surfaces in the freezer are very cold and so when you open the door of the freezer some humid air goes in and the humid air contains a bit of water, that's why it's humid, and that water condenses onto the cold surfaces and then freezes and turns into ice. In theory, that's therefore not dirty. But the problem is there are lots of things going in and out of that freezer compartment, some of which could include uncooked meats and poultry, things that you've touched when you have touched other things in the course of bagging them up and putting them in there. So therefore those surfaces could contain bacteria some of them pathogens, because of the nature of the kind of food that could be stored there. So the likelihood is it's safe. In a remote possibility, uh, there could be some pathogens in there, and therefore it's probably best avoided. Make the ice in an ice cube tray and and eat the ice that way. Or just feed your kids food, which (laughs) might be an alternative way to stave off the hunger.
1: Well, some of us ate the food and the ice, so no wonder we looked the way we did. I'm going to blame everything uh, that is wrong with me on that Period in my life, Chris, when I was eating that ice. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> explain the loss. <laughs> okay, let's go to Sabelo. Sabelo, you're calling us from uh, JP Town. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Erin. How are you? Fine, thank you. I'm alright, thanks. Yes, I'd like to ask uh, Chris uh, the relation between a baby, a baby who's uh, two three years old, uh, and a snake, because. Uh, uh, I remember when I was young, my mother told me that when I was young I used to play with a snake. And they find uh, last week my baby sister was also playing with a big snake. We don't know what type of a snake. So I just want to know from Chris, uh, how true is it that a, a snake does not bite a baby because of uh, if they breast uh The smell of milk, milk, okay. All right, my producer has just confirmed that, Chris, that uh, when he was young he also heard that uh, story. Any truth to that? Snakes don't bite babies because of the smell of breast milk?
0: I don't know is the answer to that. Uh, It could be true, and we just don't know about it. Um, I think it's unlikely, though, and I think it more, more, more likely is a myth. But I will find out if there's some kind of evidence behind that. We know that snakes are very, very good at sniffing the world around them and when they're darting their tongue in and out they're shoving the tongue out of their mouth they are picking up molecules from the air and then they retract the tongue inside their mouth and they shove it up into two little grooves inside the roof of their mouth They're jacobson's organ i think that's called and that is where there are very 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 sensitive chemical receptors which taste what is on the tips of the tongue and give the snake a clue as to what's going on around it. So snakes have very poor vision and so when they're surveying the environment, they're actually getting more of a taste of what's around them than actually what they can physically see. And so it's perfectly possible there might be some smells oozing off of young babies which in some way influence the behaviour of snakes in the same way that mosquitoes home in on us using the the way we smell Mm -hmm. to find their next meal. so it's possible That's but possible. i don't know for sure i'll have to look
1: let's go to ellen in randberg hi
0: hi mm. um chris i pick up a sound at night when i'm in certain places in our house as well as when i'm in the bush and uh, in remote rural areas and i've done some research on it on the internet and the, the only thing that i can pick up is that some people do hear the sound but most people don't it's a low frequency sound and it is referred to in the internet in some of these stations as the hum. What is the sound that I'm hearing? I know it's not tinnitus because I have a degree of tinnitus and I hear the sound over and above the tinnitus. Okay, the hum. Mm, I was going to say first of all yes it could be just an episode of tinnitus. Um, I wonder though if, if it is a manifestation of tinnitus, and therefore, if it if it's more noticeable in very quiet places where there are not background noises that are masking it normally, because when you get tinnitus, what's happening is that the cochlea, which is the inner ear where you convert sound vibrations into nerve signals that the brain decodes as the sounds we hear, if you get damage to the cochlea, then the portion or region of the cochlea which has become damaged, the sounds that that would normally pick up and convert into into nerve signals, you then artificially begin to experience... Uh, sounds corresponding to that part of the cochlea and the cochlea is frequency selective across its length in other words there are different bits of the cochlea that that respond to different sounds so you might have injury to different bits of the cochlea corresponding to to different frequencies and those, those injuries may be more or less severe. So in some regions, you might have very bad damage and in, relatively speaking, and therefore mm-hmm. you tend to hear more of those sorts of sounds. If you've got a little bit of damage to the bit of the cochlea that subserves low frequency hearing, perhaps when you're in a normal ambient environment, then there are enough background noises of that sort of frequency that you don't notice the tinnitus but then when you go to somewhere where it's very quiet that is disclosed and that could be the reason Um, another possibility is just the uh, background noise that you get because there are some environments where the construction of the area is such that you get very low frequency resonance sound waves will bounce back and forwards in that environment and resonate build up And it may be that you're just sensitive to sounds at at those low frequencies and you're able to pick them up in the environments in which you go. But I go with my first suggestion as the the, the stronger option. Um, But other than that, I don't know what the hum is. We know that the planet hums, but the planet hums at a very low frequency that you wouldn't be able to hear. Mm. So I doubt that it's the actual earth vibrating that you're picking up.
1: All right, Ellen, thank you very much. Kelvin and Kevin, please stay on the line. I'll take your calls right after this. The Naked Scientist on Talk Radio 702 and 567 Cape Talk with Reedy Clubby. We're taking your calls on 021-446-0567 11 Let's go to Calvin in Kensington. Good morning. Good morning, uh, Reedy and Chris. Uh, as a kid, my uh, father used to uh, clean his pipe and then apply the nicotine on sores that would not heal.
0: On okay. sores that yeah. would not
1: heal. Externally, okay. yeah. And we know that the nicotine has got a is a bad thing, you know. Okay. But so uh, I just need to know, you know. Um, Did the sores heal? Yes, they oh, would. okay. They would. So it, nicotine it, it, it and sores. It saw. was so good. Huh? <laughs>
0: It probably also turned you into a nicotine addict i would think because nicotine's very soluble in fat so it probably would have dissolved through the skin quite well that's why anti-smoking patches work because it puts the nicotine into the bloodstream but when you clean your pipe out with pipe cleaners you're not necessarily cleaning out huge amounts of nicotine there'll be some there but not very much relatively speaking most of that gunk that you're clearing out is tar and in that tar are lots of complicated, what are called aromatic hydrocarbons. And actually they're not so good because they're the thing that causes lung injury when you smoke and mouth cancer and lung cancer. And that's because they have the capacity, those chemicals, to damage DNA and cells. Putting this stuff onto a wound probably wouldn't have made a huge amount of difference to the likelihood of the wound healing, but it could have actually potentially damaged the cells, and if you did it for a long, long time, might put you at increased risk of getting skin cell damage and cancer. So hopefully that isn't what happened, and uh, mm-hmm. hopefully you haven't also become a hopeless nicotine addict either. Absolutely, we hope so. Let's go to Kevin in Dravonia. Hi.
1: Hi, really. I'd like to ask Chris that how come in uh, in a place like Phuket in Thailand, with day temperatures of about 38 degrees, you can walk bare feet on the beach without the the, the sand burning your feet, whereas in South Africa at about 25 degrees you can't dare to go bare feet on the beach?
0: Hmm? Hello, Kevin. Um, having only wandered around on the beach in South Africa and no one's paid for me to go to Thailand and walk <laughs> on the beach, perhaps you'd like to sponsor a trip so I can do the experiment. Um, I don't think I, I don't think I can provide an answer to that one. I'm sorry. Um, I'll, have to, I'll have to find a rich sponsor who will send me to Phuket and then I can, I can have a go at the experiment and see what the compositions of the sands are. Um, I wandered around on the beach at Port Alfred, uh, down near Port Alfred, actually, on the Eastern Cape. Absolutely beautiful. Yes. Um, yeah. I'm hoping to head back there soon when I go to Grahamstown. Yes. You of weeks will. time
1: And about the other sponsorship, you can start calling us now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let's go offers to offers gratefully <laughs> received, alongside answers to Kevin's question, which I hopelessly cannot answer.
1: And don't miss this opportunity to sponsor. The sooner you do it, the better. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we'll get the answer, won't we? <laughs> <laughs> We're we'll being naughty.
1: Francois in Observatory, hi. Hi, good morning. I'm um, Chris cells which make up our body are constantly being replaced and regenerated how is it that something like a birthmark which is close to the surface of the skin stays with us throughout our lives okay I hope you got that the line wasn't too good
0: yeah hello Francois mm-hmm. um the answer to this is you're absolutely right that there are some cells in our body that are continuously being replaced, many cells. There are some that aren't. There are some which we're born with, which we have to make last a lifetime, and nerve cells in the brain are a good example of that. Um, but other cells in parts of the body that we wear out, our skin, the insides of your intestines, whenever you eat anything, it goes through you rather like a Brillo pad scraping off cells, and you have to replace millions of them every few minutes. Well... How do those cells do that? Well, they have stem cells that are on the underlying layers of tissue and the stem cells divide very fast and grow new cells which move up through the tissue layers to replace those that are being lost. But that doesn't mean that your body has to change shape overall. All that you have is a set of stem cells that produce new cells in the, in the tissue on top. And so if you have a birthmark, for example, this is a patch of pigmentation. It's a, An area of cells which make more or less, relatively speaking, of the pigment melanin, which we add to the skin cells. So if you have that area where the cells are programmed to be a bit more or less active, they, although the cells themselves may uh, be replaced from stem cells periodically, the program that makes them behave the way they do will continue to run that way. So therefore, the actual feature won't change. It's a bit like saying, "Well, uh, why don't if I'm replacing cells all the time? Why don't don't my fingers change shape or?" whatever because Mm -hmm. the cells that are in different parts of the body inherit a genetic program corresponding to that bit of the body and as long as they inherit that genetic program faithfully they'll continue to do the job they were told to do in that particular part of the body
1: here's an email from uh, ca wants to know why is it that our faces don't get as cold as the rest of our bodies for example when it's freezing cold we have to cover our bodies with layers of clothes but not our faces because it doesn't get so cold Hmm, that's very interesting By the way, it's very cold here today. Well, faces
0: do get cold, Mm. and um, if you talk to people who've been to the Antarctic or the Arctic as explorers, they'll tell you uh, that if they get frostbite on the end of their nose, it's exquisitely painful. But one of the benefits or or the advantages of the face is that it has an enormously rich blood supply going up to the brain. The brain, despite the fact that it weighs only about 2% of your entire body mass, nonetheless consumes 20% of the oxygen that you're breathing in in any minute because it's so metabolically active. And that means it's got to receive between 15 and 20 percent of all of the blood your heart pumps out in any given minute so there's a huge amount of very hot blood coming from the core of your body going up through your neck and your and your head and that means that through conduction there will be movement of heat from those inner tissues towards the surface and that means that it will help to keep them warm um, by definition also you have very rich blood supply to the mouth and tongue And that will also help to provide warmth to those tissues locally.
1: Mm -hmm. I have two related questions. One says, why do pets hate the sound of vuvuzelas? And another one says, why are pets particularly sensitive to loud noise?
0: Well, animals have very exquisite senses of hearing. Um, humans are very visually dominated creatures. We devote more than a third of our brain to decoding what we look at. But other animals have much poorer vision or they're adapted to operate at night, like a mouse, where the amount of light knocking around is so low that there's no point in optimizing your visual system to the same degree a human has, which is awake during the day. So instead, you put your cognitive energies into your other senses, smell, and especially hearing. And if you look at a mouse, Relative to its body size, its ears are huge, and that's so that it can bring sound in from all around and then use that to signal danger. So animals being so exquisitely uh, able to hear things are very sensitive to big loud noises because they've evolved to be scared by loud noises, but also they're hearing them really much better than you and I would.
1: Well, Chris, uh, thank you very much for chatting to us. Good luck with marking the rest of the exam papers.
0: <laughs> nearly finished. You're,
1: yeah, you sounded very, very excited because you nearly finished. I hope that nothing distracts you between now and, uh, what, the end of the weekend?
0: Oh, apart from the phone call with the sponsorship coming in for the trip to Phuket so I can go and look at this beach conundrum from Kevin. <laughs> Looking forward to that. <laughs> Check us in the post Be Kevin careful what it.
1: you wish for. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Bye bye. Pleasure. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. And all our features with the Naked Scientist are available as podcasts. But you can even go further if you want to find out more about the Naked Scientists. Go to their website at www.thenakedscientists, plural, dot com. www.thenakedscientists.com.